Would you open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28? Today marks the 57th time you've heard me say those words. Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We have journeyed through this first book in the New Testament, which began all the way back December 1st, 2019. A lot has changed since then, but God's Word has not changed. It will never change. I was so excited to start this journey through the Gospel of Matthew and honestly pretty intimidated uh, to think through the commitment it is to preach through this great book. The Gospel of Matthew played an important role in the life of the early church, and I hoped it would play an important formative role early in the life of our church, being the first gospel that we have studied together. My prayer was that as we took an unhurried look at the person and work of Jesus, that we would grow in our understanding and knowledge and experience of the biblical Jesus. I believe the Lord has answered that prayer. Uh, with every turning of the page, we have sought to know and follow and love and worship and even proclaim Jesus Christ. Matthew wrote this account both as an evangelist and a disciple maker. As an evangelist, he has proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. He stated that mission back in chapter 1, verse 21, that Jesus is the one who has come to save his people from their sins. And Matthew has proven that Jesus is that Savior promised of old. By bringing out of his treasure, he says in Matthew 13, things that were new and old. How has he done that? By quoting from the Old Testament Hebrew Scripture some 61 times. And when we gather in all the allusions that are used throughout the Gospel of Matthew, that number bursts to around 300 times. Why so much Scripture? Matthew wants us to see and believe that Jesus is the promise kept to all of God's promises made. Jesus is the promise kept to all of God's promises made. Matthew writes as an evangelist. He also writes as a disciple maker. He's not content with us just to believe these things are true. He wants this whole life orientation to occur in us around the person and work of Jesus. You can tell what's important, really, really important when the Bible repeats itself. The word disciple is used 78 times in the book of Matthew. So let's redefine that term once more. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who takes Jesus as their teacher and learns from him. And a disciple also follows him. The term carries with it these ideas of a pupil, an apprentice, a follower. And in order for us to be a people who follow Jesus, we must know him. What we know and believe about Jesus means everything. And I'm so thankful to have had this lingered walk with Jesus through the gospel of Matthew, walking so closely with him so that we might know him as a church more than ever before. I'm grateful for the ways the Lord has used this book in my own life. 
uh, with the privilege that is afforded me as your pastor to spend some 20 hours every week studying this great book. I'm so grateful. We began verse by verse, chapter by chapter, building our doctrine of Christ um, every week. Our Christology is what that's known as, our doctrine of Christ, what we believe the Bible teaches about Jesus. We have explored and learned, marveled and wondered, worshipped and grown as disciples of Jesus. Do you know that's what's meant to happen in us? Not just for us to open this book week by week and let it wash off us like water on a duck's back, but to be reoriented by it week by week. How have you grown as a disciple of Jesus through our study in the Gospel of Matthew? Let's just pause as we come to the conclusion of this book this morning. How that question has this assumption in it, this is happening. So how have you grown as a disciple of Jesus through our study in the Gospel of Matthew? The final verses of Matthew's Gospel contain some of the highest Christology, doctrine of Christ, in all of Scripture, as well as this, this complete, pull-it-all-together summary of what Matthew has been teaching us. And from this final handful of verses, we hear the last words of Jesus given to His people during His ministry on earth. He leaves us with a great commission given to the church throughout the ages, and He gives the great promise of His presence to be with us. There are three distinct truths that I hope stick to your mind this morning as we leave. First, the identity of Christ the King. Who is he? We see this in verses 16 through 18. Second, the mission of Christ's people. Verses 19 through 20a. When did the A, B, C, D divisions get made? Well, we just kind of make them up as we go. But you'll, you'll understand where, where we're making that division. And then finally, the promised presence of our king. We see again in verse 20. Let me invite, if you would, to stand for the final time as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? The first thing I want to call us to remember is the identity of Christ the King. Our scene tells of the resurrected Christ making sure on his word, which he always does, of meeting his disciples back home in Galilee. Matthew tells us the 11 apostles gathered around their glorified Savior on top of this mountain. Now notice there are 11 disciples, no longer 12. Judas, 
the betrayer has died. Don't forget also in this number 11 also brings in another betrayer by the name of Peter, who is still part of the leaven. How? By repentance and faith in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The location of the scene is no mistake. Scripture is replete with things happening on mountaintops. Mountains have been the place of many events in this book. The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry was on a mountain. Uh, The largest block of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, was given by its name on a mountain. Um, The transfiguration, where Jesus' glory was revealed, happened on a mountain. And here, atop a mountain in Galilee of the Gentiles, Matthew called it back in chapter 4, Christ gives his final instruction. And there's a mixture here of adoration and caution in the disciples when they see him. Matthew simply says, they worshipped. The Greek word there is proskuneo, meaning they fell down before him. They bowed down, maybe like, maybe like Mary and Sister Mary did, um, and first seeing the resurrected Christ, they laid hold of his feet in worship unto Christ. Or maybe, since, since they doubted, or your translation might say they hesitated, maybe they're at a distance, still bowing before Christ in his glory. Scholars debate whether this hesitation refers uh, to some of the eleven Or perhaps this is one of the occasions that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 where this gathering of even 500 disciples are now with them on this mountain. It's hard to determine what is the case, but what we can draw from this is that in seeing and beholding the resurrected Christ, it took a minute for his followers to catch their breath and to recognize him as the king. Even in these final words, Matthew is so careful to present to us the identity of Christ. I I came across five different truths in these five passages that point to the deity of Jesus. So kids, during the sermon, if you want to just hunt for those, there's five different places that Matthew presents here. You have to look really careful. You might need some help from your parent of where these verses point to Jesus being God being deity. Before he sends them, Jesus reminds them of his identity. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given me. This does not mean that before the incarnation or even during his earthly ministry that Jesus did not have full authority as God. What it means is that now that he's conquered death and sin and Satan, That he is the one through whom all God's authority is mediated. From now on, God will mediate all things throughout all creation through Christ. He is, as it were, the mediatorial king, Don Carson calls him. He is the way that God will mediate his terms and decrees in relationship to all of the cosmos. Michael Card called the Gospel of Matthew... The gospel of identity. And I think that's fitting. Isn't that what he's been trying to do all along? Tell us who this man from Nazareth is. It's also where he, uh, the gospel of identity, where he places identity on us as the followers of Christ. It's only in the gospel of Matthew that we're told that as Christians we're called the salt of the earth, the light of the world. 
He wants us to know who we are as followers of Jesus. This week I spent some time looking back over the sermons that I've um, had the joy of preaching as we've walked through this marvelous book. And as I did, I, I noticed through the points of all of these sermons each week, all that Matthew has been doing to teach us about the identity of Christ. My heart was just overwhelmed uh, in, in looking at this. So I want to just retrace our steps for a moment and lead us in worship of who Jesus is. These are things that Matthew has told us. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, promised by God to save his people from their sins. He is the son of Abraham and son of David. He is the son of God and the son of man. He is the shepherd of the sheep, the Lord of the harvest, and the Lord of the Sabbath. The true and better Passover, the new and better temple, the king of the kingdom. He is the beloved of the Father and anointed with the Spirit. He is the chosen servant. He has authority over sickness and nature and the spiritual realm. He has the authority to forgive sin. He is full of compassion. The giver of undeserved mercy. Generous kindness. Abundant provision. He's the one who brings joy. He makes all things new. He is gentle and lowly and compassionate. He was betrayed and crucified and died and was buried. But that's not all. He is risen and he's alive and he's coming again. He will return suddenly and unmistakably. He will return in fullness of glory as the judge of all mankind. And he will bring his people safely home. And so who is Jesus to us? He is our greatest treasure our highest allegiance, our deepest affection. He is God with us. We do not have to guess about the identity of Christ our Savior because God has told us exactly who he is, what he is like, and what he has come to do. I want to ask you as a church to remain committed to growing as disciples of the biblical Jesus. Matthew's taught us so much, but it will take a lifetime for us to grow into all of these truths. I, I just scratched the surface with those. Let's not default to a cruise control mode, but keep growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and growing in our relationship with him it's here on the written page that we see the glory of Christ Jesus. God has revealed himself through his word, the person and work of his son. Why is this so important? One, we want to know him. But two, we're navigating a culture that wants to silent and edit the teaching of Jesus. That wants to push the person and work of Christ to the margin, to the fringe, and get it out of the way. Because we want to do what's right in our own eyes. And so, come daily to the pure, undiluted word of God and drink deeply from it. It is here we will know the biblical Jesus. 
and be protected from creating one of our own making. Learn of Christ and his word. Remember, Trails Church, the identity of your king. The second thing I want us to keep before us as we finish this study is the mission of Christ's people. If you remember back in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples on a short-term mission trip. They're to go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel. They're to heal the sick. Now, because Jesus has full authority over all things, he gives the disciples authority to go and make disciples of all nations. There are four verbs that animate the king's great commission. The first thing Jesus authorizes his disciples to do is to go. That's verb number one, go. There's a sense in which Jesus' words can be interpreted. Um, As you go, as you live your life, and as you work, and as you raise your family, and as you play, make disciples. And I want to say that is the sense in which Jesus is speaking, giving this command, but there's also an actual going that is implied. The news of the gospel requires movement. You see, this mission begins on a Galilean hillside, and it isn't complete until all nations of the world are called into the authority of Jesus Christ to come and worship and know him, to bow before him. So it's impossible to hear Jesus' words without the call for them to go. Our, my grandparents' generation understood this. The command is go. We've tried to so edit it to, well, we'll just bend that around what we really want to do with our lives. So that doesn't really mean go. And we're going to look at this in the coming weeks. Sometimes the furthest place you need to go is next door. Yet that just scares us to death. The second verb is to make disciples. As a matter of fact, the main imperative in this commission is to make disciples of all nations. We said that a disciple was a person who follows and learns from Jesus. And what Jesus has in mind here is that these disciples would go and make more disciples as they proclaim the good news of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus had called them on on the shore of the sea, follow me. So now the disciples of Jesus are supposed to walk in the world, to go into the world, calling others to the same discipleship mandate that we ourselves have been called to. To come and take him as their teacher. Uh, This would happen to people as near as Jerusalem, as close as Judea and Samaria, and as far away as the ends of the world, even Collin County, Texas. Third, they are to teach all that Christ commanded. Now, I've gotten these out of order. Baptized goes before this teaching part. And as a Baptist, I should have put it first, but we'll get to it. Third, they are to teach all that Christ commanded. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They'd seen the teaching of his life and heard the teaching of his words. Now, they are to go and teach the truth they had been taught by Christ, to teach of this king and his kingdom. One of my favorite preachers, Dick Lucas, points out that between the conversations and addresses and um, sermons recorded of Jesus, we find him teaching on these things, God and man, life and death, 
true religion and false religion, happiness and sadness, wealth and poverty, time and eternity, heaven and hell, righteousness and unrighteousness, just to name a few. Disciples are made through teaching. This is why, as Christians, we are lifelong learners. That's how a disciple is made. And finally, baptism. As they go and teach and make disciples, they are to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have no knowledge of a time when the church was without baptism or unsure of the role of baptism in the life of a disciple. A person was to be baptized publicly to demonstrate that they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and were publicly committing to follow Him as their Lord. So there are the verbs of this mission, the action required of the command of Christ. Go, make disciples, teach, and baptize. This is the final command of Christ to his disciples gathered long ago on this mountain. But are they also meant for us today? Does that command, does that bear on our lives as followers of Jesus? Does it bear on our life as a local church? Well, to use theological language, you betcha. You betcha. Charles Spurgeon explains, those who gathered were a representative company, and the words addressed to them were also spoken to the one church of Jesus Christ throughout all time. So these words of Jesus are also addressed to his disciples throughout every place, every nook and cranny of the world, and they also must land fresh on our hearts today. The king's great commission is our commission. And like the first disciples, the Trails Church has been commanded to go and make disciples and teach and baptize. How do we do that? Well, there are countless ways. If we circle our thoughts on that main imperative to make disciples, there are countless ways that we do that. In conversations with others about Christ and his work on our behalf, Teaching doctrine and theology, reminding one another what is true and good and right, teaching our children, the next generation, of who our God is and what he has done to save us from our sin. I want us to feel the force of this passage, not just as a collection of individuals, but as a people covenanted together as a local church sent on mission. We are not meant to do this alone. This is a team sport. We've been sent together to make disciples together, to teach together, to baptize together. And so let's apply this commission to our lives around those four verbs, these things we are called to do. Go, make disciples, teach, and baptize. Notice that Jesus doesn't give a seven-step strategy for how that's supposed to happen. So what are we supposed to do? Go, make disciples, teach, and baptize. Well, that feels really ambiguous. All the type A's in the room are cringing right now. He just says, as you, as you go, you'll sort it out. 
You sort it out in your own lives. As you follow Christ, make this your priority. Bend your living around this aim to make disciples. So here's a question each of us must ask. How is my life being invested in the work of making disciples? How's your life being invested in the work of making disciples? There are a thousand answers to that. Even the seemingly small behind-the-scenes tasks are efforts in disciple-making. And I like to remind people of that. We're not just doing these things. We're making disciples. A couple of months ago, I was driving into the parking lot, and um, the Young brothers and Ty Karen were putting up those flags that wave as you welcome onto the property. Have you seen these? Those don't magically appear. We have guys that put them up. And so I rolled down the window to my truck and just yelled out, Hey, boys, what are you doing? And they're like, uh, it's pretty obvious what we're doing, right? <laughs> and I said, uh, you're not just putting up a flag. You're making disciples right now. I want you to remember that. Because it's true. Even these small tasks... Many things go on behind the scenes of our church, all with the aim of making disciples. There's an even greater aim in that, and that is the glory and pleasure of God. And we'll get to that next week. The mission is to use our creativity, all of our creativity, our lives, our careers, our homes. These things weren't given to us to terminate on us. They were meant to advance the mission of God in the world by making disciples. So next week, we begin a series entitled For the Mission, in which we're going to explore what the Great Commission means for us as a church committed to making disciples. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, 19, and 20. Gotcha. (laughs) You just thought we were done. Well, we gave it a new title and everything. You'll forget. Uh, and no, what we're going to do there is just pull out what this looks like practically. This is practical theology. What does this mean to us as the Trails Church to walk in obedience to the great commission that Christ has given to us as his church? So I want to just challenge you to be there all five weeks of that series. Many of you may not know this, but Uh, Today, statistically, is the lowest attendance day in America uh, that churches are attended, the Sunday after Easter. You know, last week we had like over 700 people, and so don't look around and self-congratulate each other right now. (laughs) That's not not what I'm talking about, but I just want to ask you for the next five weeks, be here as we talk through what this means for us as a church family to live together on mission. Remember the mission of Christ's people. And the final truth we cannot forget from this mandate for the church is the presence of our king. As Matthew finishes the last strokes of his pen with this letter, he doesn't mention the ascension of Christ like the other gospel writers do. What he circles in on is the mission that Christ is leaving. He sees an entire world waiting to hear the good news of Jesus. And so he zeroes in on the presence of Christ with the disciples in this work of making more disciples. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, now don't miss this. The one who was first introduced to us back in chapter 1 as Emmanuel, God with us, 
God has completed his mission on earth. And now the last words from Jesus, he is still God with us, even to the end of the age. And the English word always there is an expression found only here in the New Testament. And what that word always means is the whole of the day. So let's read it that way. And behold, I am with you the whole of every day to the end of the age. I'm with you the whole of every day to the end of the age. He's not promising his presence just at the end, but every moment, an hour, and day, and week, and month, and year of your life until either you see Jesus face to face at his return or you see him face to face through death. The mission of Christ on the earth has now come to its planned conclusion. When was it planned? Before the foundations of the earth were laid. And now the work's totally done. Christ who took on flesh, becoming one of us, in order that he might save us. Christ, who perfectly obeyed the will and command of the Father in our place. Why? Because we could never do it on our own. Christ, who has died a substitutionary death in our place, in order that our sins might be paid in full. Once and for all, Christ, who rose on the third day, crowned with life and glory. And now, as he takes his rightful place at the right hand of God, is enthroned on the praise of angels and men. He promises his presence to his people as they serve as the hands and feet of Christ in this world. Busy about his work of making disciples, all to the glory of God. The work which Jesus started, he now continues through you. That's what he's doing, working in and through you. The very mission that he came to accomplish, he's doing through his people. And you have the power and the authority of the risen king. And you have the sure promise of his presence as your encouragement and as your comfort. And so, with the sure promise of his presence, with that comfort and that encouragement, what else do you need? What else do we need? When we set out to plant the trails, we specifically prayed that God's presence would go before us. It would go with us. We echoed the prayer of Moses, and it has been. And brothers and sisters, let this passage remind us that you are not a forgotten people. God's not holding back himself from you. God is with us the whole of every day. His presence to cheer and to guide. And the presence of his spirit, in the light of his word, in the power and surety of his promises, that what he began in us, he is faithful to complete. Shall the church now faint or fear when Christ our King is near? My prayer is in these first years as a new church that we would have grown in our understanding of the biblical Jesus through our time in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's continue to believe, to follow, to study, to learn from, to worship and share Jesus. Let's share the message of Jesus with those who are lost, 
like we've been authorized and commanded to do so. We have it on good authority. As if the very presence of Christ is with us in this mission. So I pray that as we close our formal study of the Gospel of Matthew, that we would feel the weight and the joy of these words of Christ and that we would live in all the good of them. The King's great commission is our commission. And let's pray for his help every step of the way. Father, we do thank you for your word that has clearly shown us the person and work of Christ. I thank you for our brother Matthew who has evangelized us, presenting the good news of the gospel in this book. And I thank you also that he's taken care to disciple us as people who would know and follow and love and worship and share Jesus. Let us be committed, not to a Christ of our own making, but to the Christ as revealed in your word. Give us strength and endurance, passion, love for you as we seek to know you and to make you known. Let your presence go before us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.